And, you know, when we look at the kind of the celebrity or the power structures, um, that's not what these people that are in charge think, right? They don't, they don't, they don't give the idea of every person is a leader. You know, they think every person is, well, in some cases, right, they think, well, that person's my, my um, assistant or my slave or my, whatever the case may be, right, in terms of the, the power and abuse stuff, right, you know. Um, so, I mean, I think that's interesting, too, in terms of if you have somebody who's really thought about distributed leadership, they probably have a whole different perspective on, well, what, you know, my average um, person that comes to my church, you know, what, what do they come from? What are their gifts and talents? You know, how could we um, enable them or mobilize them for the kingdom based on what the Lord is speaking to them versus my top-down vision or my top-down agenda? Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Communitas podcast. Joy and I today are going to have a conversation with a dear friend of ours and a board member, actually, of Communitas International, Tony Shang. And Tony, thank you so much for being here, my friend. Oh, gosh, privilege is, is mine. I'm flattered to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Great. And Tony, uh, just I, I, we'll get into a, a bunch of questions, but you're in the Washington, D.C. area now in Baltimore. Is that right? I am. Yeah, I'm in Columbia, Maryland, midway between D.C. and Baltimore. So right smack in the middle there. OK. And how long have you been living there? Uh, I grew up actually around the D.C. area. So I'm a, kind of born and raised in that area, which is a little bit rare. You know, it's a really transient area yeah. um, with the, the government. You know, the government flows in and out every four years. Um, so it is quite transient. Um, so it's a little bit of an anomaly. Um, but it's, you know, your typical, you know, suburban outside of, you know, two big cities and um, pretty people are wound pretty tight here. <laughs> so so we've been there, you know, I grew up around here and then my wife is uh, from Southern Connecticut originally moved down here for a job. We met in a church, um, you know, did that whole thing. So, so yeah, we've been here a while. My kids born and raised um, two daughters, 25 and 22. Um, so they're born and raised in this area. They're actually gallivanting around the world, uh, which we love. Um, the younger ones in South Africa in Cape town for about six weeks mm. doing a, an internship, internship, um, education thing. Um, and the older one is starting a job. She just finished graduate school, um, in the LA area in May. So starting a job on Monday. So her very, um, a very abrupt, you know, reality to adulthood, like, oh, I've got to figure out 401k and I've got to go to a job from eight to five and yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah. <laughs> it's a fun stage. It's a yeah. fun stage to watch your children go through that and remember what it was like for you going through that. So yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Tony, a lot of people in the Communitas world know you. You've been around a lot of Communitas events. Of course, you serve on the board now. Um, but why don't you give us a little bit of a kind of a itinerary maybe or a history of um, your faith journey, what got you to where you are today, and then we can just dive into all kinds of subjects. Yeah, sure. That's great. Um, I was born and raised, uh, like I said, in the D.C. area. I'm an only child from some pretty traditional Chinese parents. Um, my dad was a math professor. My mom worked as a banker. Um, and so, you know, kind of the the Asian culture was very much education is the, your salvation, right? You've got to be really well educated. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of respect and and honor for you know that kind of thing. So, 
Um, from a young age, I was always taught that, you know, that do well in school, you know, apply yourself, um, get a good job, right? Stability in that manner. Um, very non-religious home. So really no element of faith or, um, you know, any kind of higher being or any of those kinds of things. Um, so I kind of joke, you know, I'm like, well, I'm Chinese. So I didn't, I didn't play sports. I did math, <laughs> uh, you know, from a, from a very young age, right. That was, that was kind of that thing. But, oh, when I was, I was growing up and there were two brothers that lived around the corner from me, um, Christian home, um, really dear friends. And they kind of, you know, just sort of adopted me more or less. I was over there, you know, all the time, every day we were in school together. Uh, I was good friends with the younger one and um, they were involved in church, you know, church life and uh, brought me to a bunch of different things. And then um, in the, the spring of my ninth grade year, when I was 14, I became Christian. I had been exposed to, you know, a bunch of different things going on um, in terms of church life with them and friends with church people got involved in youth group. And then so, um, you know, really felt this sense of there was something more. There was some. Um, you know, authentic, authenticity to them. There was a, a level of care, level of concern um, that I felt really, really compelled. You know, it was really mm-hmm. attractive to me. So um, through that community, you know, became Christian. Um, so that was at the end of March. And then that summer, you know, six weeks later, they were like, hey, why don't you come work with us at a Christian um, summer camp, you know, on staff, right, as a ninth grader, uh, incoming 10th grader. So, you know, did that for three years. Um, incredible spiritual formation in terms of immersion with, you know, 15 other high school Christian guys, um, learning about the Bible, serving, you know, full-time in terms of being a camp counselor, you know, at that whole thing. So, I mean, really the whole package of, of, I mean, the best spiritual formation that I could have actually gone through having just kind of, you know, come new to the faith and then all of a sudden this immersion, right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that was incredible. And then, you know, um, helped out with my youth group as I got older um, in college and then, um, met my wife at the church that I was serving at. She had moved down for a job. Uh, there was a Christian school associated with that church. Um, so that's kind of it real quick. So, um, you know, really have had a heart for young people ever since then. Right. Cause understand that, you know, that's where my, you know, moment of faith came from. And, and, so, and, and I just love being around young people in general, you know I mean? I mean, I know they can be really annoying, right. Of course, but, um, so much energy, so much passion, and and have always felt like if you can tap the the passion and the imagination of a young person, yeah. you know that's something really powerful, right? And so, um, you know, really love to really love to be around something those kinds of things, you know, for my whole adult life, really. Mm. I'm curious, how did your parents respond to your yeah. <laughs> faith? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we would like, I mean, it was kind of a wilderness camp. So I, and I was like a suburban kid. I didn't know anything about camping or any of that kind of stuff, you know, and, and I got into it, you know, really loved it. Um, of course now I'm an old man. So I say, you know, I did that. Now I like hotels, um, <laughs> but did that a long time ago. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of the wilderness stuff, you know, the canoeing and the camping and the rock climbing and, and all that stuff. And a lot of it was inherently, you know, a little, I mean, a little bit dangerous in terms of suburbs, right? And so they would freak out a little bit, but their whole thing was, they were like, you can do whatever you want as long as you get good grades. Right. Right. Back to that education thing. And I was a terrible student in high school. I mean, awful, barely Mm. passed. I mean, GPA of a 2.0, right? So very kind of, um, so it was really interesting in, in terms of, I just kind of skirted by school and they kind of just, 
you know, let it go in terms of, you know, they really could have said, well, until your grades get up, can't do any more of this church stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But they, I think they felt like overall it was pr- probably a positive thing. Um, I will add one more thing to, th- to this. It was interesting story. Um, you know, my mother ha- has had some serious mental illness my whole life. Mm-hmm. So this all started when I was, s- most of it really kind of started to show itself when I was in middle school. And um, we've we've dealt with this, you know, my family and I, our whole adult lives. Um, we just recently moved her into assisted assisted living a couple months ago, which has been great uh, because there is some of that, um, you know, mental health stuff going on that we didn't even realize until she was in this location, mm-hmm. which is really really helpful. But I think to that end too, you like my dad was probably saying, uh, it's good for him to to get out of the house too, yeah. you know, because maybe there were certain things that he was like, well, you know, there's certain odd things going on in in this house that you know he if he got out with it you know other families and other parents and so maybe there was some of that too i think yeah looking back mm-hmm. on that, yeah well and how fortunate to have dear friends just down the street too that took you yeah in, it? yeah yeah i mean i would spend the night every saturday night there you know we just have you know just hang out and then they would take me to church on sunday mm-hmm. on the way home we would stop at mcdonald's for lunch and then it was you know <laughs> back to my house it was you know this really interesting routine all yeah. through high school. And, um, you know, when I became a Christian, they got me my first Bible, you know, yeah. so yeah, really shepherded me, cared for me, that kind of thing. So. Well, Tony, your, um, your desire to serve youth. I mean, that's, that's been evident. I know that's how you've served communitas in the past, but it's also led you to start some things and, and provide some experiences. Give us a little bit of that history. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, like we said, you know, my whole life been involved in, um, interested in, in students. So really, you know, had uh, been in technology my whole career. And so had, you know, day jobs in technology, but also helped out at every church, most every church that we've been at in terms of students, whether it's, you know, doing a small group for a small group Bible study for young men, high school guys or, or whatnot. And then um, the last uh, high school group that I was helping with, you know, at the end of that, my guys were graduating and, um, and they were, our church was hosting the perspectives class their perspectives on the world Christian movement. And so I, I mean, my wife was like, well, you know, why don't you take this class? Your guys are coming to an end. It, and I, we were toying around with vocational ministry just a little bit, you know, um, she was like, why don't you take this class? It'll, you know, let's see what happens with it. Right. And um, like a lot of people that take perspectives, you know, the class is hugely pivotal for me yeah. um, in terms of thinking about culture and leadership and, and missions, but missions at a broad scale, like, the global church, you know, and how do we integrate all those things? Um, what does culture really look like? You know, when we think about flourishing of people, um, and for me particularly, it was, well, there's all these, uh, things that we teach, uh, missionaries that go overseas, right. And some of it was in this class, but there, but these are transferable to even high school kids, right. Mm -hmm. How do I understand culture? How do I decode culture? Um, in my class, on my sports team, in my neighborhood, you know, how do I make sense of, of these different um, contexts that I walk through, you know, um, all, all those kinds of things, right? So um, at the end of that, you know, my wife and I sat down and we said, well, there there could be potentially some kind of student missions thing. You know, we didn't have, uh, well, this is a very affluent, very large suburban mega church that we were part of back then. Um, they certainly had you know, really dynamic teaching for high school kids, um, you know, worship and small groups through the week. But 
But when it came to kind of a missions uh, thing, it was a little bit scattered. You know, it was like, oh, well, this team's going to go there and this team's going to go there. And so we actually wrote a proposal and said, why don't we, why don't we, what's, how about the idea of a of a central team that would help some of this, help guide some of this, add some structure to it, um, resource the the leaders that were already doing things, you know, with their small groups. Um, So a good friend of mine was the director of student ministries and he was like, um, and just brilliant and catalytic and uh, super affirming. You know, and he said, well, why don't we do this, but let's call it a pilot and we'll do it for a year. And because we call it a pilot, you can do whatever you want, right? You can fail and you can, you know, you can, you can fail, fall on your face or things go great, but it doesn't really matter because we'll call it a pilot. And so there's a lot, lot less stigma on it, right? That it's got to be successful or whatever. And um, still like one of the, like, you know, thinking about one of the most brilliant nuanced moves that I've ever seen in terms of somebody being a leader. Right. Mm. Yeah. Got this idea. Love for you to try it, but let's just term it this way. Right. Mm. And, and then it gives us a, a ton of freedom. Yeah. You know? So, um, so we did that for a year. Uh, that was at, at our local church. It was from, uh, we did that. Well, it was started as a year. It ended up being a five year run, mm. uh, which was incredible. I mean, you know, some of the most catalytic times for my, my leadership and our family, um, I had almost, I mean, incredibly, I had almost full autonomy to kind of, I had a budget and I had, you know, I could kind of dream what we wanted to do. And I would go to the the missions task force, you know, in the winter and give a proposal, you know, every, every year. And um, I, I don't think that any church actually would give anybody that level of autonomy these days, you know, which is really, really incredible. So it was a great season for us. We did that for five years. My kids were really young. And um, towards the end of that, we we traveled with them a few times. Um, you know, they were like, uh, nine and six, you know, 10 and seven in those ages, uh, in those days. And then, um, but one of those summers, um, Kevin and Barbara McNish, mm-hmm. who Barbara's on the board with, I have the privilege of serving with her. She's amazing. Yes. And the last, uh, she was a guest on yep. this podcast. Mm-hmm. That was an incredible conversation, Barbara McNish. And so, um, they were part of our church community and they they had just been commissioned to go to Italy, and uh, with Christian Associates, which was you know the precursor to Communitas. Yeah. And so we got to know them, and we said, well, you know, would there be any way that like we could help with the student team? And they said, well, um, we're not going to be in Italy yet, but we have this conference called Connect that you guys could come and serve. Like they're always looking for people to help with kids, yes. little kids, and and whatever. And, uh, and we said, oh, well, you know, let's explore that. We explored it and it turned out to be, um, turned out to be workable. So we actually, uh, took a team and that was in Sopran, Hungary. That was, um, there, there's been multiple things there, multiple connects there, but this was in 07. Um, we helped with the kids camp there. So brought a, you know, team of high school kids and then did that in, um, 07 and then 08 return in 08 to do it again. Um, and then it's, you know, through that, I mean, it's just been a, a variety of friendships through Communitas. Um, you know, uh, Teal and Megan Rapp became dear friends. Um, you know, uh, the Wilders in France. Um, I mean, just, you know, a, a series a series of names um, in terms of friends around the world. And then uh, what happened in, um, I did that for five years. And at the end of five years, the, the church kind of wanted to restructure their mission strategy. Right. And they yeah. wanted to kind of retool that. And I said, well, I've been doing this as a volunteer for five years. It's been a great run, but let me take a little break. 
you can find some other people to kind of step in here, which was healthy too. You know what I mean? So, sure. so we stepped down, um, we took a little break, but we, but, you know, we still felt this call to students and cross-cultural work. So we started a, a little organization called the Embercast, which I still run. It's a, a 501c3 non, you know, nonprofit. And it, I just do that bivocationally, right? Like have a regular job and, and also do kind of this ministry missions thing. Um, and it's, it's fledgling. It's, it's really, it's nice and small, you know, in terms of like, um, you know, like, like if you, if you help out with a big church, you know, you kind of have this dedicated pool of people that come to you. Right. And it, that's nice in some sense, but it's also like, wow, that can be really overwhelming and unscalable in another sense. Right. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So in this case, it's a little bit more kind of um, just customized in terms of, you know, we pick what we do and, and that kind of thing, you know, so we have a little bit more control to it. So I, I kind of joke, you know, I, some of that's authority disorder on my part too, because I wanted <laughs> to have full control, you know, some of that. So, um, so with Ember, we've also um, helped out, you know, been with a bunch of communitas projects as well here and there. Right. So, um, you know, Catania, Sicily was one, um, the church in Aix-en-Provence, uh, France, mm-hmm. we were, did that to help them for two summers um helped with a, another connect with um the students high school middle school students in Prague right that was in 2015 um so here and there kind of have still kind of weaved in and out with our friends and and associates with with communitas right so and then of course joining the board um you know pretty recently the, the past uh year and a half and of course with covid you know everything kind of slowed down with ember um with covid and then yeah. you know opportunity to join the board so that's uh, super fun. And now really, it, Ember really looks like, like I would take a team every summer, you know, but up until COVID, um, but now it sort of looks like special projects, you know, here and there, right? So mm-hmm. what do I do for the board, um, which is not a ton, you know, but it's still fun to be connected and and come to events. And um, yep. I joined the board of a little, of a little refugee center in downtown Baltimore, you know, close to us, um, some dear friends that run that. So kind of the intersection of all three is, is an interesting, interesting mix now. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. And and explain a little bit about, about who participates in Embercast. Yeah. So mostly it was, it was high school kids. It was some middle school kids. It was a combination of sometimes we would do like team training for, um, you know, mission teams that were going out. We would do, we had a little toolbox, a toolkit of some things that we would help out with training um, I would take uh, mostly high school kids on summer teams, you know, and we would work with partnerships that I had formed around the world. Um, it's mostly people that I thought were really interesting, very entrepreneurial, um, willing to try a few things a couple different times. Mostly some of them were early stage to the field, you know, which I kind of love too, but but really, um, you, you know, really trying new things, very entrepreneurial, kind of, uh, you know, just... Um, you know, uh, you know, throw it up and see if it sticks on the wall, you know, that kind of personality. Right. Mm. And I felt like if you could take a 16 year old and and have them work with, you know, somebody like that for about 10 days, you know, that's, uh, it's a lot different than like, Oh, going down to kind of paint a wall, yep. you know, or, or dig up a basketball court, you know, versus trying to figure it out, you know, leadership edge to it, you know, let's try this or, or try that. Um, so that was a little bit of that, but it was mostly high school kids we're, we're thinking if we ended up um, doing some more of this in the future, that it would maybe lean a little bit more towards college kids. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm getting older. They have a little bit more freedom. I don't have to, you know, 
babysit them through security necessarily, you know, right. Um, we have a thing that maybe, maybe we'll fly um, next year, uh, working, uh, talking to two young adults who just finished college and they're saying, well, you know, we'd love to do something fun, cross-cultural, you know, could you quote unquote place us somewhere? So mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to figure that out. And of course I would want to visit them right wherever they are. Cause that's always fun. Um, but anyway, you know, they can get to wherever they need to on their own. You know, they don't need, they don't need a chaperone through airports and that kind of thing. So, so potentially leaning a little bit towards a little bit older. Nice. Well, yeah. here's a, here's an opportunity for a shameless plug. Uh, a guest on this podcast in a couple of weeks is Craig Sumi, and Craig has been working with Kevin uh, and some other folks with the Scottish Church Network, and we're opening Launch, which is an internship center, uh, and it's a year-long opportunity for, it sounds like the target you're looking oh. at, you know, recent college oh. grads or something like that. Yeah, it's in Scotland, uh, and that's going to be a, a neat thing. You'll hear more about that, whoever's listening, will you'll hear more about that in the weeks to come, but uh, Tony, I would encourage you to get a hold of uh, Craig Sumi and find out more about it. I can get you his contact info. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. I wrote that down. So I'll definitely follow up on that. That's hey, let's I, we've had some, some really interesting conversations, you and I, and others. Um, let's shift a little bit toward church and culture. Um, and in particular, we've had conversations about uh, children in the church growing through adolescence and into adulthood. and what's going on there? You know, so we could go into great depth about this, but in your experience, what have you seen? Certainly you have, you know, your, your own family you could speak to, but um, what do you think is going on with church and culture and our, our kids as they become adults? Yeah, I think um, our kids are trying to, our kids are, a lot of our kids, I think, not everybody, but a lot of our kids are asking what makes sense out of this? You know, what's, what's so appropriate, you know, what can be tossed. Um, you know, I just watched that documentary, Shiny Happy People on the yeah. Duggars. Yeah. And the whole, um, Institute of Basic Life, uh, the Bill Gothard thing. And, um, you know, I went to a couple of those seminars when I was in college and kind of bought into the whole thing, you know, in terms of the, um, you know, his teaching on authority and male headship and, mm-hmm. and those things. And, and, you know, I'm like, well, gosh, Looking at it now, geez, it's it it is pretty destructive, you know, in terms of yeah. of um, you know, giving people a voice to say, hey, this is not quite right, you know, and and I wanna, I think there there's something about this that needs to be in check, or there needs to be some kind of um this power has to be you know, has to be in check, you know. I, so I think that, you know, like like I think that, you know, my wife and I are also going through some of that too, you know. I mean, raised evangelical and you know we've we've really toyed with with some of those ideas well like you know does this make sense now what do the scriptures really teach how is jesus leading us in terms of some of these conversations you know um what are we what are we reading that's um has a high level of scholarship Hmm. you know that that digs into some of these issues you know so i think kids are dealing with that for sure um kids that have grown up in the church you know my two kids are certainly going through that as well. My older one, you know, would say, um, probably not interested in church anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of joke with her cause she's like, Oh, you know, all the, I mean, she, she calls it, she, I think she labels the growing up evangelical a little bit rougher than it was. Right? I'm, <laughs> yeah. like, mm-hmm. I'm like, you don't, you, you really don't have what you think you have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so we kind of, we banter and we tease each other about that. You know what I mean? But, um, 
And I, and a caveat with this, you know, all of us, the Shangs, we're super cynical, very, super, very, very <laughs> super cynical. So it's hard to, it's hard to, um, to be, it, we want to be careful with that, right? right. We don't want to come across as super cynical because, you know, you throw everything out and then you, you know, you want to work through that in a proper way, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, so, so I think, you know, um, kids are definitely asking a, a bunch of things about that. I think. Um, also, you know, one of the one of the phrases or sentences that have stuck with me for a long time is um, I'm trying. I had some notes here. Um, uh, David Kinnaman from Barna, yeah. you know, uh, faithful, resilient disciples are handcrafted one life at a time, you know, which I think is so compelling. You know, we and, and I'm guilty of this, too. You know, we went to a large suburban church, um, had a lot of stuff going on in terms of programs and relationships for students and it was easy to kind of offload that offload you know spiritual development mm. to you know a youth group or a youth pastor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and you know that's a that's a um it's easy to do right you know and so it's hard to really you know it takes a lot of intention to say oh you know what um i'm really going to work on my kids in terms of relationships and discipleship and and those kinds of things you know but you know, a, ch- a church is really not going to handcraft, you know, as much as they want to, as much as the motivation is there, you know, a youth pastor of 50 kids, yeah. you know, can't handcraft disciples one life at a time, you know, so there's scalability, there's motivation, but there's also actually just, you know, how do they do it, right? So I think that's some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. I, um, and, and I recall us talking a bit about this in the past, too. Uh, both of us having some similar experiences in our development, our faith development, and even you know the forms of church, um, we were so willing to institutionalize this uh, because it made sense, right? I mean, it it was efficient. If you get a crowd, you institutionalize it, and you put people in charge, and you kind of step back. And um, but but one of the things that's been so refreshing for me in in my communitas journey over the last fifteen years or so is uh, an approach that's very different than that. You know, it's really a, a life-on-life, true, authentic community. Um, even, you know, even relishing experiencing hardship because that that brings us closer as a community as well. So, Tony, I'm, I'm curious, um, and this doesn't just have to be your kids. Uh, is it is it form? Do you think it's more of a, of a, of a, rejection of the form of church that has been pretty dominant for the last 30 40 years or so but yeah i think form form plays a big role in that right i mean i think you know our our predominant form in western america is you know three songs and a and a welcome and then um Hmm. one person teaching from the stage right right and we know over centuries of church life it doesn't form it doesn't form disciples right it doesn't create change in people mm. you know um it's kind of a shot in the arm um so I, I think form is a really big part of that too that kids are saying well you know there's other ways to learn and uh, even looking mm. at like education models yeah. right you know it's the same it's a very um it's the same thing in education right it's one especially higher ed right so one person teaching from the stage you know, or one talking head at the center of the, at the top of the room, at the front of the room, you know, it's interesting because Emily, our younger one is, 
is over in Cape Town. She's doing this internship slash boot camp for um, data analytics, huh. right? And so their whole um, their model is really different. It's um, you know they do two or three hours of teaching every day. There's two TAs. There's an instructor there, but it's very um, it's very life on life, right? Yeah. It's very small group or cohort based or not so much a lecture. Well, you can listen to the lecture later, of course, right? But there's it's a lot more integration in terms of the way that the content is being presented or the student has to learn it, right? And I think, you know, um, it's so interesting when we think about like discipleship and church world and and that kind of thing, you know, the different forms, like what you're saying, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, that idea of flipping the classroom and, and uh, we are seeing this, um, you know, my background in high tech, and I know your your background and currently in high tech, um, in that flipping the classroom kind of perspective, you're really taking advantage of the knowledge that people bring to the room. So the, the learning is actually happening from each other, That's as right. opposed from a top down kind of thing. And in a business perspective, my goodness, the progress that can be made in that kind of environment, you know, compared to uh, following the strict rules and authority structure, you know, it's, uh, yeah, for sure. it, yeah. But, and you've seen that speak to that a little bit, even in the business world. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, our learning at my company is, is cohort based, right. Yeah. It's very not, you know, kind of traditional classroom, you know, it's um, well, a lot of it is on the job or learn as you go or learn as you need. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, that's a lot of it too. So, yeah, it's, you know, not necessarily just checking the boxes of a curriculum, right? But it's like, oh, well, I need to, I need to learn this today so that I can talk to a customer tomorrow, right? Yeah. So there's some of that, you know, just in time learning as well. Mm-hmm. Right, know? right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was a mistake um, that, that I made with my children was this idea that there's a very prescribed way in an understanding of faith and God and Jesus, right? It's it's prescribed. And in looking back at that, I can't imagine going to anyone, let alone my own children, and saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you and encourage you to be in relationship with this other person. But that relationship can only look like what I tell you it should look like. <laughs> right. And and we're telling people to be in relationship with God and be, be in relationship with Jesus. And then we're putting all these conditions <laughs> around it. Yeah. It's really um, creepy. <laughs> it is kind of creepy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. How I think how, the other yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Well, I, I'm curious how how you have um grown and matured with, with some of because we, we live in the tension, right? We're liminal, we're in a liminal space of uh, looking forward and thinking next generation, but we're also products of, and a lot of the product that we are and became is good, right? I mean, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, um, but we live in that liminal space where it feels like you're kind of being torn a couple of different ways. Um, how has that worked for you personally in your own faith development? Like, how, how are, how are, what are you discovering new now? that brings more depth and breadth and maybe even some conflict into your own faith? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I was thinking about some of the questions that we, that Joy had sent over earlier, you know, in terms of, of those along the lines. Um, 
You know, we're, we're really, I feel like we're, we're, Dan and I are both really at an interesting place, you know, I mean, like traditional church kind of is boring, you know, the, the, the way it's done and, and like, is this really working in our culture? Are we really, are we really empowering people to, you know, do what the Lord asks of them and, and make a difference in our community or in our culture, you know, versus just kind of being a holding tank we come here every Sunday morning and, and hear something, but nothing actually gets done for it, you know? So I think that's, that's some of that. I mean, we certainly have gone through some of this, you know, quote unquote de- deconstruction, you know, in terms of, you know, we had joined a new faith community right before COVID hit. And then of course, you know, yeah. it's been, you know, in and out for the past few years or, or whatever, you know, and, but now it's like, well, would we have joined this, um, this church uh, if we had to choose today, you know, versus mm. pre-COVID. And I, I'm not sure we would just because mm. of, you know, some things that we've learned and experienced and and really kind of engaged, right? Is that, you know, the direction that we'd want to move for, um, you know, in the future, you know? I mean, I think, you know, the the leadership scandals through the church, you know, yeah. that have been very tough, um, mm-hmm. certainly, you know, thinking about power and celebrity, you know, in terms of the way that we've, the way that, that, Western church has, has grown, you know, in some of those areas, you know, that's been really tough thinking about that thing. You know, I still kind of cringe when people say, well, church is a family mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, church is a family, but let's, we need to qualify that a little bit more because I can't just show up to your church today and you call me part of your family. And then therefore, you know, you have all the, like, the, therefore we have all the, the um, expectations of family from day one, you know, that's a little, that's a little bit odd, right? You know, and we use that construct all the time, right? We say, well, work is family. And, you know, and, and of course we call family family, right? Everybody's got a crazy uncle, um, but church is family too. It's just, it, you know, some of those things are a little bit, they just, is this, is this the right way that we need to treat these terms, you know, and think about these things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm not sure I'm answering your question, Jeff. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good insight. Yeah. Yeah, that wrestling space. I think it goes back a little bit too to that institutional church aspect, you know, where, and and this is part of our challenge in our times is uh, redefining what the word church means. You know, we, I mean, we've seen that for a long time in Europe where, you know, you say the word church in almost any European country and they're thinking about the building on the corner that's now a pub or something else. It's not a church or it's a museum, perhaps. and, you know, in our context, thinking of institutionalized, when when you join a church, are you are you aligning with a people or are you kind of bowing to the institution? And I think that's where we've missed the mark a little bit. And I'm seeing in in my children and, and next generation, uh, my my children are now both in their mid to late 20s. Um, I'm seeing a, a drive toward authentic relationship uh, at the individual level, as opposed to, you know, some pledge to an institution. And I think that's a big, a big driver right now for the church of the future. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. Yeah. I mean, that, that authentic leader, you know, that leader that's willing to be transparent, you know, I mean, we have, you know, that's been pushed, um, you know, across all kinds of different domains, you know, like, I mean, at work, you know, in your job, you know, you can't get away with a lot of that stuff that you used to be able to get away with, right? In terms mm-hmm. of not being an authentic leader, you right. know, 
you can't lie to your people. You can't, you know, I mean, not that you should be, but you know, those things. And I think, you know, it's, it's transferring over to church world as well, especially with the younger generation. Right. I mean, the women leadership thing, I think is too, you know, that's a very big thing Um, for us as a family, you know, that's, that's been very, very large, very important for us, you know, thinking through that and what that looks like. Um, And I think, you know, like, like you said, forms of church, you know, I mean, I remember Communitas was really, our first exposure to a lot of different forms of church around the world that we had never heard of, you know, when we first went in 2007 and just hearing people that were, um, you know, starting and working in these communities that were, well, there was a pub church, you know, in France and there was a church on the beach, you know, and then one Sunday we walk in and there's, you know, at the, at the conference center, you know, there's um, big church in the round, Mm -hmm. you know, and all the kids were involved and um, it wasn't just one person teaching from, this, the front of the room, but it was a, it was a communal, yeah. you know, there was a time for everybody to share and there was, you know, and it was so interesting to us, you know, and I, I joke nowadays too. I'm like, well, you know, there's some people that are quote unquote unchurchable, right? Because they've, they've lived overseas or they've been a part of something in some other place and they come back to maybe Western America and they're yeah. like, is this the best we can do? And, and I'm not really going to, you know, I don't want to settle for this form of church, because I've seen a much broader, right, much mm-hmm. more um, interesting, intriguing, compelling way to do a community of faith, you know, mm-hmm. so. What are some of the things that you've learned in those contexts that you think could apply here? I'm I'm thinking about what you were just saying prior to that regarding basically culture at large in America, that that the lying, the power, all of that is getting flipped on its head now. And not just in church, but in business, in communities, in politics, you know, people are expecting authenticity, uh, authenticity and transparency and honesty and all these different values than, you know, 50 years ago. How, how do you apply some of what you've seen in those other contexts to that culture today in the United States? Yeah, I tell you, I think one of the things that's really attractive is um, some of these um, men and women working on plurality of leadership mm-hmm. or local faith communities. Um, the one that comes to mind is David Fitch out of, is he out of Chicago maybe? Um, but for many years, right, he has said, oh, we have we have three in yeah. charge and they're mm-hmm. bivocational, right? right, And, mm-hmm. and they split it. And, you know, I think bivocational is an interesting forcing function, right? Because- if you don't do it full time, you don't have the capacity to do everything in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. right? So you've yeah. got to find somebody else, you know, to help you. Um, so I think that's that's super interesting. We've never never experienced that firsthand in terms of you know a church that has been intentional to structure that. But that would be really really interesting um, to dig into. I think for us, um, and I think it yeah. it also um, it also lends itself to the idea of that um, every person is a leader. Right. Every person mm-hmm. in your congregation, you know, has potential. Right. And, you know, when we look at the kind of the celebrity or the power structures, um, that's not what these people that are in charge think. Right. They don't they don't they don't give the idea of every person is a leader. You know, mm-hmm. they think every person is. Well, in some cases. Right. They think, well, that person's my my um, assistant or my slave or my whatever the case may be. Right. In terms of the, the power and abuse stuff. Right. right. You know. Um, so, I mean, I think that's interesting too, in terms of if you have somebody who's really thought about distributed leadership, Mm -hmm. they probably have a whole different perspective on 
well, what, you know, my average um, person that comes to my church, you know, what, what do they come from? What are their gifts and talents? You know, how could we um, enable them or mobilize them for the kingdom based on what the Lord is speaking to them versus my top-down vision or my top-down agenda? You know, that mm-hmm. kind of so those are two things that come to mind. Yeah, those are huge. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying previously about everyone's listening to one another and acknowledging what each person is bringing and that we all have something to learn from one another. Yeah, yeah. I think that's huge, right? Because we say, oh, you know, I mean, the, uh, the um, uh, I forget the verse, but, you know, the, the whole, um, in economy later. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Uh, Joy, for, for our listeners, um, we should have a, a podcast dedicated for people getting to know you too, Joy. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we'll do that at some point in the future. Um, but I see some similarities with, with Tony and, and you. Uh, our listeners don't know you have six children from the mm-hmm. ages of 10 to 22. Um, mm-hmm. And what's been some of your experience in, in seeing the difference in how you grew up in the church dynamic in which you grew up and theirs? Mm-hmm. What, what what are they after that is different than what you were well, after? It's hugely different. I, I was thinking a few minutes ago about that something from my generation was really looking for a place to belong, which is no different than kids today. But, but we found value, I think, in having this like group that kind of we could hitch ourselves to. I'm part of this. And then that group kind of also gave us a sort of stamp of approval in terms mm-hmm. of who we we were and where we fit. And I think that in some ways that has fallen off as there's so many more ways that people can connect, you know, with social media and across the world. There's a lot more of this sort of grassroots community interaction and identity. And that's kind of, you know, big picture what we're seeing the difference culturally speaking, it's, you know, a big building where you can go and be part of isn't really a huge draw anymore. But if you have a handful of people that you can connect with and be really honest and real with, that feels like more of, you know, what the younger generation is looking for. And I think we were too. And sometimes we found that within a corporate church setting, but it doesn't seem like any of my kids have a huge interest in that kind of like group dynamic to belong to in a bigger scale. Hmm. Boy, so many things I think play into that from uh, social media, certainly, but but even just the internet at large, right? I mean, we oh yeah, we grew up in a time where conforming meant surviving. I mean, if you wanted to have community, you had to conform. Mm-hmm. And the world we're in now, um, expression is survival. Because you can connect with people who express right. in the same kinds of ways or learn in the same kinds of ways. or um, So I think we're shifting dramatically from a, a conforming culture to an expressive culture. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I think that's really healthy, right? Um, right. Yeah, but it, the, the transition's been a little bumpy. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah, because we only had our little local context. There wasn't really any reaching out beyond our town or the city or the school we went to or the church we attended that that was kind of the extent of our world so to speak for the most part yeah that's just not true anymore yeah, yeah it reminds me of you know alan hirsch writes about affinity groups right and how mm. um, that's really the a, a, a pivot in community today right yeah. in our culture and then you know he goes on to say well you know probably 40 percent of your community isn't even going to go to church 
right? You could invite them all you want. They're just not interested. They're going to go do remote control cars on Sunday morning, or they're going to go to breakfast club, or they're going to, you know, because of these affinity groups, you know? Yeah. And, and so that's, that's also super interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. It acknowledges how needs shift over time in, in history. And of course the, you know, society changes and and it's interesting to note that the needs of the individual there are some basic ones that are the same but some of these like identity and belonging needs really match the time and place mm-hmm. but it's important to acknowledge they're not what they were previously in our generation that's right i think one of the things i wrestle with pretty often and tony i'd like your your input and, and insight on this um it's that tension between open expression and responding to culture right but culture isn't necessarily right right so there's that where is truth and what is right and you know mm-hmm. you can even get into questions of orthodoxy here right so i mean if it's the form um you can you can retain orthodoxy through various forms but if we're rewriting orthodoxy well now we get into some potentially real slippery slopes so uh, how, how do we how do we exist in that tension what what would have been some of your insights in that yeah i mean that's super interesting right in terms of of i i think for us it's gone to just having a, a theological base of you know what is what is right you know um once again you know the the scholarship level of you know what we're of the research that we're doing, you know, those kinds of things. Um, whereas the form can change, right? But at the core, you know, um, you know, what is, you know, what do you really believe and is it really based on on truth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also, you know, so much of this, especially with the generation today, is um how you react to it, right? Yeah. You know, it can be a it can be a big hammer or it can mm-hmm. be a soft, gentle, um, approach right yeah and you almost it seems to me like you know um people get more bent out of shape in the way that you respond versus you know the content of your response right whether that's right or wrong you know there does seem to be in our culture today right all, almost it's almost not what you believe but how you respond to it you know to a certain degree right mm-hmm. um which i think is i mean everybody's trying to be careful you know, which I think is a good thing, but also, you know, bring some humanity into how you respond, you know, which is always helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there's a definitely a fine line there, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. interesting you say that because that kind of loops back around to what you were talking about at the very beginning and even the way you've structured Ember as a nonprofit that more is caught than taught. In those moments that you're talking about, people are wondering, what kind of person are you? Like, I'm not going to even listen to your content or the words coming out of your mouth if you're not safe and approachable and someone that I feel like I can be with. And so they're again, they're looking not at the at the words, at what's being taught, but I'm catching you as a person and the quality of your character. And and that's kind of what you were saying you find is important is modeling and being being a person of love and working with the young people and they're, they're watching and they want to be with leaders who are doing things and not just hearing a message or. Yeah. No, I mean, I love that, you know, everything that you said, I hope that that's what we've done. Um, 
I will tell you, you know, you know, 10 or 15 years of this kind of thing. And, and we're maybe, I mean, we've definitely seen some kids just not interested in faith anymore, you know, and it's been mm-hmm. a higher ratio than of course I would love, you know, it's probably been 30 or 40%. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we always said, well, you know, the best um, metric of a youth pastor is mm-hmm. 10 years down the road. Right. What yeah. are, what are the mm-hmm. numbers in terms of that? So our numbers aren't so great, <laughs> but you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you would never say, well, you know, the story's not closed yet. Right. Cause these kids mm-hmm. are still young and, and everybody's on a journey and who knows what will happen in the future, but, but a little caveat to that. Right. So don't make it all great and gravy and all that stuff, Joy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate the honesty. Yeah. But they'll remember you as a person, you know, but they might not remember what you say. So that goes a long way to. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. And we've had a ton of fun with every one of those teams, every one of those kids. I mean, we love them. Mm-hmm. They're just uh, as a whole amazing kids, right? And I always say I've had the front row seat of watching some really passionate kids do some amazing things. And mm. let's see, let's see how the Lord leads them in the future, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what a privilege too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 That's great. That's great. Joy, any other thoughts or questions for Tony? Oh, this has been really wonderful. Thanks for sharing your life with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's been amazing. Yeah. I, I, boy, this is probably a topic for another conversation and we can do that on a, on another episode, Tony, but I, I would like to um, kind of dive a little bit more deeply into what is, what does faith look like in the corporate world, especially in our mm-hmm. data driven culture? You're, you're a data specialist, database uh, background. You know, what, what does that, what does that look like when we're, we're living in a season of experiential uh, relational kind of faith and connection with each other. And yet, you know, behind the scenes, the, the matrix is tabulating data and making suggestions <laughs> based on artificial intelligence. You know, it's, yeah, that's a whole nother conversation, I think. But what, what would you uh, say to that at this point? Well, uh, so I, th- I think there's, I think there's maybe two questions there, Jeff. I think mm. the first one is, is what does faith look like um, at work. Yeah. Right. And then what does faith look like with the advent of some of this technology that we're all hearing about? Yeah. Right? Mm. So I think maybe there's two. Um, so it's interesting. I'll, I guess I'll tack on to the second one first. You know, I think that there's, you know, the social media, the algorithms, the, the, um, generative AI, um, man, it's, it's a whole new world out there, isn't it? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I read a thing uh, a number of months ago and it was like, well, you know, someone that, someone that's collecting your data, it's going to be your therapist and your boyfriend and your um, boss kind of all, all rolled into one. And they're going to know a lot more about you than you even know. Hmm. And then they're going to be able to do some wow. prediction and, and some, you know, some, feeding to you based on that stuff and you may not even know that that's what's happening right so that it's scary that's wild it, it is and it's wild yeah and it's it i think it it for for leaders in faith communities you know it really is something we need to think about you know right. and how do we do that how do we connect with people how do we not manipulate people mm. how do we is social media the best way um to to keep people um, connected, you know, because mm-hmm. it has it has been a great way for people to be connected for sure, right? Mm. You know, in terms of faith communities and and those kinds of things, right? But there is an element of wow, you know, if everybody's 
got a ton of data that's being collected, not necessarily for for the right reasons or for good reasons, you know, or how do we how do we mitigate that or how do we make sure that it's ethically the right thing that we're doing, you know, and not manipulative, you know, um, that kind of thing. So it is really, it's, it's, you know, and there is, I think there's a troubling thing too about it because, you know, like, um, you know, the social media for, for young people in some cases has been really great. And in some other cases, young women, especially it's been terrible. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's been really, really terrible. You know, um, there's a guy that I read, uh, Scott Galloway, he's a professor out of N- um, NYU. And he says, I'd rather give my daughter um, a, a bottle of Jack and some cocaine rather than an Instagram account or something crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and his and he's obviously he's talking in extremes, but the point being Instagram, some of those social media things have just been terrible for, for young ladies, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for faith leaders, youth pastors, you know, um, faith community leaders, I think that's important to gauge, important to think, think through, right? What does that mean for us? Um, in terms of faith at work, um, it's interesting. You know, I um, I work for a multinational technology company. I have loved every day of it. Um, it's a it's a big company. If I said it, you would know for sure. Um, and we have such an interesting culture to work. Um, you know, there's that phrase that says um, strong cultures look like cults, right? And we certainly definitely look like that. You know. Um, but so I think, you know, like my faith at work is really, um, it's it's really more, you know, doing a great job, um, being kind, um, being empathetic, um, you know, not being a jerk. Um, there, I have not found really situations where I can really talk about my faith because, you know, nobody really, nobody really asks um, overtly about that, you know, but it was interesting because I, I ran into a guy that works for my company and he had this really interesting background. He had lived in a bunch of different countries and, you know, he was like, oh, well, you know, when I was young, 18 to 20, I lived in another foreign country. And I was like, oh, well, what did you do there? And he, he goes, I was proselytizing. <laughs> and I've never heard anybody use that term, right? And, yeah. you know, been around Christian missions, you know, my whole life. I've never heard anybody say <laughs> that, you know, which is so interesting to me, right? And obviously he had a faith background, you know, yeah. um, uh, so, um, so I think, you know, that's, that's part of, that's part of faith, uh, for me at work is, you know, being diligent, being a good worker, you know, doing a good job, um, being kind and empathetic. We have a lot of affinity groups, uh, you know, like a lot of companies do today in terms of different, whether it's sexual orientation or religion or different interests, mm-hmm. um, we really, we really have a lot, we, we really have a lot of different um, ways that we display that, you know, like we have a internal directory and you can put up different badges for different affinity groups, mm-hmm. you know, that you're part of, you know, some of those things. And then we definitely have like, you know, week, weekly or monthly affinity group meetings, you know, that anybody can be a part of. So in terms of a company, you know, we really have embraced the diversity and inclusion you know, mm. all that, all of those things, right. We really want to be known for that. And, and I think that's a, a great thing, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's really healthy for people, um, you know, and to, we, we want a diverse workforce, you know, we really think that's really healthy too. the best people at the table to make the decisions across a wide variety of backgrounds, you know, right. um, from a business point, of view, you know what I mean? Um, so that's, that's really what faith looks like, uh, for me, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Right on. It's that being who you are, wherever you are all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. I, I like that. It's a, it, it brings me back to the idea of living that integrated life, right? right? Instead of having segments of, you know, I'm this person for an hour on Sunday and then this person in the boardroom or w whatever your environments are. Um, yeah, totally. I, I tried that. I tried that life on for the early part of my career and uh, it was too tiring. It was just too hard. <laughs> I'll just choose to be me wherever I am. <laughs> Lots to maintain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's it's interesting too because as as you start to embrace that, and I and I love how your corporation is embracing that affinity, you know, you become far more productive. Um and why well, I don't want to say the word happy, but there's a there's a connection and contentment that comes in when you can be your authentic self self instead mm. of you know trying to be something you're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally true. Totally You're true. not wasting energy that way. Right. Yeah. Sideways energy. Mm -hmm. Well, Tony, it's been a delight uh, chatting with you. I hope that we get to do it again. And thank you so much for um, the ways that you've served uh, within Communitas and, and certainly well beyond it. So you are mm -hmm. much appreciated, my friend. Oh, great to be here with you too. Always happy to chat. Uh, loved our time. This has been really, really fun. So Loved catching up with you too. And I'll see you too in a, in a couple of weeks when I do our little, our little European. That's thing. right. You'll be at <laughs> Connect in Spain, uh, except this time you won't be leading a youth group or, or responsible for children or teens. I'll uh, be free. There you go. <laughs> free bird. <laughs> well, enjoy it. Enjoy it. We look forward to, to seeing you there, my friend. Good stuff. Thanks, Tony. Thanks so much. You have been listening to an episode of the Communitas podcast. We would suggest that if you've liked what you've heard, please do leave us a review. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. And if you like what you've heard, please share it with some friends as well. You can be reminded every week or every other week when we drop a new episode, if you subscribe to the podcast, uh, it'll automatically magically appear uh, in your feed. So please do consider that as well. This is Jeff Reinhardt, President and CEO of Communitas International, joined with Joy Preston. And we look forward to being with you again on another episode of the Communitas Podcast.